Audi. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Big Travel Podcast, exploring life stories through travel. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. I just wanted to thank you before we get on to today's guest, who you're absolutely going to love. She's wonderful. But thank you for listening to the uh, the podcast and for our growing audience. This week, we've reached the dizzy heights of number two in the iTunes chart in the UK in places and travel. Number one in Luxembourg, number seven in China and uh, charting high in other iTunes charts all around the world in the places and travel category, including Iceland, Kenya, New Zealand, Belgium, France, Sweden, Ireland. So thank you everyone, including especially people from those countries. I can't tell you how rewarding it is. I'm working really hard to get you the best guests and we're really building up a momentum. So thank you so much again for joining us. It is much appreciated. Now on to our guest for today. Whether reporting on the Brazil World Cup, the Canada Women's World Cup, or dodging tear gas in a football brawl in France, Kate Borsay takes everything in her stride. Her podcast, The Offside Rule, has been voted one of the best sports podcasts in the UK, and she's travelled extensively for both work and pleasure, Brazil, Canada, Bali, Kenya, Australia, all over Europe and much more. Please welcome one of the busiest reporters and newsreaders in the business, Kate Borsay. journalist and a broadcaster and I've been doing it for actually a really long time now when you get to the point in your life when you can say you know 15 years ago when I was at such and such a tournament or covering such and such a thing so I do news and sport I primarily started out as a sport broadcaster but I do quite a bit of news now just to kind of broaden my horizons I also run a female fronted football podcast with a girl called Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen both fellow sports presenters And we began that about six seasons ago and like yourself just started podcasting really and it's it became and and is quite successful for us and we're quite a well-known brand within sport now and that's brilliant for us because we can spread the word and also move more into kind of getting women into football and not you know making it normal normalizing women presenting sports coverage or you know covering a story there's been a big conversation a debate going recently with the world cup in russia and about women yeah, commentators yeah. and how has it been working as a, a female in in a sports male dominated yeah I world? mean I I've only commentated a bit so I've only done, done live commentary which is quite different I suppose to going on the radio like Vicky Sparks who you mentioned and subjecting yourself to the ears of millions and millions of people I think it's much easier now for a woman to work in a sports arena but there is loads more to do and I think it's that kind of silent sexism it's where someone might put on on an event or might put on a show a tv show or put a, put a panel together and without even realizing haven't put a woman in there haven't thought about a female audience it's really um interesting I was reading a tweet actually by Lord Sugar he was advertising some sweet box and the kind of tagline was 
if your woman's fed up of you watching the World Cup, why not send her a box of sweets? And someone pointed out, well, this percent that the viewership of the World Cup was 40% women. And they were like, well, actually, we're not all wanting sweet boxes, thank you. We are watching and we're loving it just as much as the men. So it's those bits of kind of silent or backhand sexism that I think still have to be addressed. And when you move into the real blokey roles, I suppose, which commentating would be something seen as primarily male, especially men, ex-pros speaking about a men's match, it's much more difficult for women. And I think people's eyes have been opened and it's a conversation that's going to happen over a period of years. We're not anywhere near there yet, but I think people's awareness and people's want to do something about it's changed. And the advertisers need to sort of sit up and listen, even if you know your average they bloke really might do. not. Because if 40% of people that are watching the World Cup are women, yes. that's a huge potential for advertising, revenue, sponsorship, yeah. everything. Yeah, and actually... And we were sponsored for a while by by Continental Tyres, who back women's football in a really big way. And you think, well, well, that's really unusual. Why would a tyre brand, of all things, want to get into women's football? And of course, there's a big social responsibility box. and, And often brands choose what they want to be affiliated with. And they really go for it in that particular sector. But they said, look, you know, when you buy a car, actually a large amount of the decision makers are women. And so, of course, we like to get involved with women's football because there's a a whole silent audience out there that people aren't paying attention to. And so, yeah, people like Dove, people like car makers need to look at what's happening in football. And of course, they need to increase sponsorship. So have you had to, have you been able to travel much through work? Yeah, I've been really lucky, actually. I've covered three major tournaments. I think one of the big ones for us was going out to Brazil for the last World Cup. We're obviously in this current World Cup now. Um, But we were assigned by BT Sport to kind of give the fan opinion. So the Offside Rule podcast, that was Lindsay and myself, headed out to Brazil, booked ourselves into the first three England games and luckily tagged a holiday onto the end of it because if we hadn't, we'd have been coming straight home. So we went to Brazil, started out in Sao Paulo, which was quite business-like actually as a city. We then went to Rio for a little bit. We went to Belo Horizonte to watch another England game. We didn't go to the first one, which was in Manaus, which was kind of Amazonian climate because we we, we just couldn't make it up there. And when England uh, exited in the group stage, it was all very depressing. Luckily, we tagged, um, I think it was 10 days in the end, onto the trip so we could have a holiday afterwards in a place called Buzios, which is near the Rio coast, which was brilliant. I was pregnant with my second child at the time, Arthur, so I didn't go out so much. But Lindsay and a couple of other friends who were travelling with us went out every night, had an amazing time and absolutely loved it. And for that trip, my my other half, Dan, came with me and my daughter came, Molly, too. So she was probably one of the youngest England fans over there. I think she was about three or four at the time. We had a great time. And I think when you're a female journalist and you're travelling away and you're trying to juggle, obviously trying to juggle a pregnancy, being with my partner, also Molly as well, my daughter. Luckily, school allowed me to take her out and we went to Brazil and had a big adventure. But... You know, it sounds great, but we did the same thing in Canada. I was out for four weeks and they came out for the final two weeks. What was the tournament in Canada? That was the Women's World Cup in 2015 when um, England women won third place. So they basically got the bronze medal um, and they did unexpectedly well. And and, and it kind of caught caught the crest of a wave for for women's football because it, it, it started to get big from that point. It is difficult because... Essentially, by then Arthur was born when we went to Canada for the Women's World Cup in 2015. And I essentially ignored him for most of those two weeks, having warned him and said, you know, look, I'm not going to get a lot of downtime. You know, we we were working really extensively over that 
tournament. And I felt sorry for Lindsay as well, because she was dragged in sort of between him getting a bit humpty because I couldn't spend any time with them um, and us being a bit overtired and the kids missing me. So in some ways it works when your kids travel with you, but I think you've got to plan it really well. And actually I would be hesitant to do it again where I'm leaving Dan on his own with two kids because I effectively did leave him on his own in Canada for two weeks. He had a great time and he saw some brilliant things which I didn't see but it, it's it's a really hard balance to strike. I think it's very interesting that we're having this conversation. I'm not glad we're having this conversation but men do you think this this is different if you're a, a men sports professional and you're uh, and you're traveling to report on events? Would they know. think the same? I think, I mean, I think it comes with the territory and Dan coming along was much more so we could have an experience as a family. I was going anyway. He said, well, I'll jump on the back and I'll bring Molly too. I'll bring Arthur too. And I think we thought of it as a bit of an adventure. Had I been going out there with an organisation, you know, with one of the major broadcasters, I'm not sure he would have come because if I'm with the offside rule, then I can kind of plan my own time and sort of we're in charge of ourselves. But if you're working for a broadcaster, I mean, I know because I've seen posts from, you know, several other female journalists, Ali Bender's out there, Natalie Perks for the BBC, loads of journalists out there, obviously Enya Luko's out there and Alex Scott as well, female footballers. And it's tough for them because they miss their kids like mad. Um, and they're traveling, especially in Russia, all over the place, connecting flight to flight to flight, battling flies, heat, cold you know kind of a real variance of things and they're doing it all without without their kids and so it is it is tough is it any tougher for women I don't know I suppose we less used to being away maybe but I don't think it's necessarily tougher for tougher for women I think we're probably able to say more easily god I miss my kids and actually I'm having a really emotional day today because there is always one or two days in a tournament where you have an emotional day where it's all rubbish you miss your kids and you want to go home and you're just overtired and fed up can blokes do that as easily well I'd, I'd like to think so but m maybe not I think it's maybe the the person who travels more who's used to leaving their kids and that might be the mum or the dad yeah. the one who's like out to work full time every yeah. day that might be both of you and you're more used to leaving them it might be sort of yeah. less of a wrench I think I found it difficult in Canada because we because Lindsay and I spent two weeks where we were totally absorbed in what and what we were doing and I am one of those people unfortunately I just absorb myself and I'm quite one dimensional I don't ever sit back and kind of worry about stuff too much I just go for it and in Canada when Molly and Arthur and Dan arrived it then upset the balance a little bit because we were both in the middle of of the tournament England were doing unexpectedly well things were flowing for us we were getting some really good press it was getting exciting and then Dan turns up and the dynamic changes now that's not his fault of course and he still had a great time but I think in future maybe it's better to just go and swallow up the whole month or six weeks for the last euros Lindsay and i went out to paris a couple of times um, and we always try and go as fans we don't we we don't go on media tickets um oh that's interesting so you're paying your own way yeah yeah and now sometimes we're given tickets by players and that's great but again we kind of sit as fans really and we went out to france a few times for that and that was, of course, completely manageable because we could just jump on the Eurostar and on one occasion get delayed for 11 and a half hours on a Eurostar, but managed to score about 500 quid's worth of Eurostar vouchers each. So we were completely happy with that. Happy to pass the 11 hours stuck Did on I a train. You, you were in a riot or something there. Yes, yeah. So <laughs> the first place we went to was Marseille. And yeah, we were um, stuck in a restaurant whilst there was a lot of trouble going on between England and Russian fans. And... 
me being me, I was out there with my phone and Lindsay was like, get back in the restaurant. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to look, I'm going to film this. And she was like, you're mad. And I'm like, well, it's okay. I'll keep a safe view, but you know, I want to see what's going on. So literally, you know, I kind of snuck out for a little bit, but we we're back in this restaurant, just hearing bottles break and noises go off and we could see tear gas and it was being let off right by the restaurant and um, so that we would sit there with with kind of plumes of billowing out near us through the windows I wasn't ever you know afraid I think Lindsay was was perhaps a little bit more and we were with with a couple of other female journos then as well who were a bit like mm, what on earth's going on here but it was it was one of those situations where yeah you just have to sit tight fair enough I went out and filmed a bit and tried to post that stuff onto Twitter but yeah it was just one of those situations where you just you felt let down and a bit sorry for what was going on and, and obviously concerned for the England fans and for other people who might be you know innocent sort of caught up amongst it. It's such a shame when that happens that minority of people football fans that misbehave from whatever country they yeah. might be it just lets the whole thing down doesn't it? It's it happening does. less and less I like yeah, to Yeah and, and, and actually I should say I did see a few England fans throw bottles but the majority were singing and just enjoying themselves and I think it took one person to throw a bottle or to, I think someone lifted a chair up at one point and it took that for the police to then set off with the, with the tear gas. And so when you've got tear gas between you and the police, the police can't see what you're doing. So then it got a little bit worse. And actually, I, I have to say, I don't think the French police helped the situation too much. On another occasion, there were large amounts of Russian fans um, and that was over another area of Marseille port. And that was altogether more more dicey. I didn't didn't directly see that. We could hear lots of stuff going on across the port. But when that happened, which was the second incident really all sort of happened alongside it, close to it, that was out of order. Did you so you mentioned getting tickets from some of the players. Do you know the players? The England women players we do, yeah. And we had a contact in the England men's squad too at that time. And so that kind of made it made it easy for us. I mean we could have applied and done the whole media thing, which is which is fine. But I think for us it's about offering something a bit different to what you get on the BBC or any other of the major broadcasters or papers. And it's about trying to live that experience as a fan, but with a, perhaps a broadcaster's eye or a broadcaster's voice or a broadcaster's way of reporting. And that's really the great thing about podcasts is that you can do that. You have your own editorial control. Mm. And I think that's probably why people, yours is so good, is that it does take, it's looking at something that's very, very popular, but taking that uh, from a different angle you know yeah. not just as women yeah and I think I get you know the kind of ripe old age of nearly 40 I get fed up of kind of being shouted at by people on the tv by reporters on the tv or you know or even sung at or told you know reports that sound like poems and whilst there is an appreciation there for that you know it's it's about a conversation you know for me just like just like we're doing now it's about the conversation it's about where the conversation goes it's about a, a bit like you mentioned to me earlier it's a bit like having a list of questions and actually just not looking at them and that's such a wonderful thing to be able to do I mean we love our podcast because we get to talk to really interesting people and the conversation can go anywhere and it's as a broadcaster when you're constantly pegged into a minute or two and a half minute package or you can only have this long to ask this question and you must ask this question about the game and you must ask this question and by the time you've done those two you, you've got nothing else to fit in that, that's kind of in any way different when you're sort of constantly having to work within those restrictions professionally it's so lovely to be able to do whatever you want and talking of doing what you want you know, you're a freelancer like I am and I, I watch you you know with Facebook friends and everything and I watch you and you're so busy and doing all these fabulous things but one of the things I was very much intrigued by is your you renovated a 
beautiful, beautiful looking house in France. Tell me yeah, about that. we did. Yeah. Well, we didn't, I, I shouldn't <laughs> say renovate because we, we didn't do the whole lot. We, with another family, I, I one of my best friends, Karina's French. She has a partner who speaks French. They, they have a kid who speaks French. You know, French and France is, is a huge part of their life and they, and they live in London. I've always loved France and I love the language. It's my favourite language. Paris is one of my favourite places to go to. And we came up with the idea of buying a place in France together because we, A, it works out a little bit cheaper when you're booking holidays you're not having to pay a premium price you can just go and stay at your place you can drive to where it is in southwest France as well and we started the hunt for a French house we nearly bought one in the Corrèze region so kind of up near Brive and we were close to signing and then the lady pulled out we don't think she liked English people. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyway, so that was heartbreaking. But we kind of got back on the horse, I suppose. And within a year, we'd found the place that we that we bought. And it's an old presbytery. So it's a priest house. It's right next to a church that's on the river lot. And it's gorgeous. It's got huge, you know, almost sort of half metre thick walls. It's, you know, it's a really lovely example of great old architecture. And of course, you, you know, it doesn't, you know, perhaps cost what it what it would here and we we kind of sort of tarted it up I suppose we employed some lovely Polish painters and just flew them there because we'd heard all these nightmare stories about engaging you know French professionals and working on a time scan and of course none of us had any time to, to supervise anything so we sent these two Polish painters over there who, who had a great time by the way going out to all sorts of local full moon parties and all kinds of things that, that, that we've never happened upon since nice gig though uh, if you're yeah. a Polish builder living in London and someone says go over to yeah, France yeah yeah they just and, and they they were brilliant and um, they spent nearly three weeks just doing up the house. We knocked down a few walls. We put in a pool as well, which, which took, a, took a bit of time. And there's still stuff that we can do there. But the aim was to have a little bit of an investment and be able to take, take cheap holidays and maybe, you know, if it can if it can pay for itself so we rent it out through Airbnb and, and kind of through, through our friends and by renting it out if we can pay or make it pay for itself basically then that was going to be a winner for us and it's it's beautiful it's peaceful it's quiet um describe the region i mean this is a dream for everyone yeah you know, yeah it's it's um, describe the region yeah me. so the lot region is famous for duck and walnuts of which i like neither i'm a vegetarian and i can't eat nuts so obviously it was a winner right from the very start for me cheese and wine maybe cheese and wine yeah yeah exactly there are loads of vineyards so to the back of the house there is the lot river and it's the lots of very medieval regions so the town of Kaur is is about 40 minutes away um, we're near a town called Puy-Levec, which I think is translates to something medieval, like Castle on a Hill or something. And it's a medieval town, and we're outside the town in a little hamlet, and there's a vineyards to the front and the Lot River to the back. And it's great for cycling, it's great for fishing, great for wine tasting. I mean, you can knock on any winemaker's door and ask the question, degustation, <laughs> which is tasting. My French is okay, but I'm, uh, yeah, trying trying to get better at it. Yeah, so it's it's a beautiful region. There's loads of old there's loads of old chateaus and and castles and buildings that, that you can have a look around, and just mostly it's kind of a bit of an escape. And the kids are just in the pool all day. We buy loads of cheese. We buy job lots of wine, and we try and have our friends over as much as we can. And we just enjoy the countryside. The, the only thing that I would counter it with is it's it's quite hard work when you're over there because you are you know, fixing things that have gone wrong, you're sorting out why the, why the oil's run out, why is there no internet, 
um, whenever the French have a storm, their internet goes. So you're constantly replacing routers because they've got weird electric systems. Uh, you know, Ivy growing up at the back of the house. So it is bliss and we're really, really lucky. But of course, it comes with its own responsibilities as well. I interviewed the author, Kate Moss, and she talks about that region. She's written lots of books and around Carcassonne and, and not too far away from there. And what we discussed was it's actually that part of rural France is actually a lot more vast and underpopulated than yeah. you expect. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it is. And actually, the town of Puy-Levesque uh, near us is a working town, and that was really important to us as well. You know, there's no point sort of glitzing it up or or, or sort of staying staying somewhere predominantly British. I think for us. You know that there was nothing more authentic than sort of trying to be a little bit in rural France, and it also makes you makes you learn the language. My French has got so much better since being since since being over there, often, and you can pick up a bargain too, I suppose. And um, there are a little pocket of English there, and I think there are little pockets of English all over France. Now I don't think there's much of France where you don't see that, but it's not wall to wall, but you don't walk into a restaurant and hear mostly British voices, which is really nice. We're so lucky to just have a France a little drive away or a boat away and then a few hours drive after that we've got Italy a few hours mm. drive after that you know we've got Germany Austria Spain, Holland yeah. Spain Belgium yeah. everything on our doorstep and that's the beautiful thing about living here in the UK and being part of Europe which I'm not even going to get into <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to do a Brexit special when it oh, happens oh god yeah I will be doing a Brexit <laughs> special believe me um, so where else have you been um, lots of places where do I start so I think if I think about kind of memorable places which I loved going to my brother lived in Australia for a while in Melbourne and then in Perth and on both occasions that we went to go and visit him we did a stopover and the most memorable one was in Bali we we went to an island called Nusa Lumbongan. Uh, I'll say that That's again. very well said. Yeah. We went to an island called Nusa Lumbongan and you can only reach it by boat. And there are no cars on the island either. And we stayed at a place called The Point, I think, which was right on the kind of cliff edge of the island. And Molly was about three. And we just had a mega adventure. We hired a motorbike. Molly did all the directions at the front of the bike, strapped her in, and Dan and I jumped on the back. And then we just poodled around this island for about four days and had an amazing time. And the snorkeling and surfing was really good there. We, we didn't do so much of that, but we just... We just it's one of those places that's breathtaking and it's relatively unspoiled and we just had a, a real blast we always joke about the banana snake so when so molly was about three and we were walking along to the kind of the sort of local restaurant and this yellow snake just inadvertently slithered across our path and we were like okay did molly see that and she did and i was just like yes it's just a banana snake having no idea i mean there is no such thing as a banana snake i'm sure but it looked like a banana so that, yeah so that so that holiday became known for the amazing views and the banana snake which then dominated most of our conversations afterwards wondering if we were going to bump into the banana snake again that's the sort of thing that kids will remember for the rest of their lives yeah, though, which is why exactly. i think that if you can afford it travel is so important yeah. when you've got kids yeah. you know, showing them the world whether that's just my 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 family holidays all we could afford was driving down to the south of France. Yeah, but we when did. I say all we could afford. It was yeah. it was wonderful. You yeah, did we did loads of French camps when I was growing up, and we went to Italy a few times. But I do remember those standout journey where where, where I just read the whole way. You know, it would be whatever it was like fourteen hours. I would just read, have my head in a book the whole way, and probably me and my brother and my sister, three of us, squashed into the back of 
a maxi car or whatever it was at the time that my parents were driving. Nothing, nothing high tech. Sure, we'd be fighting with each other, but we, we, we've, we've got pictures of our old turquoise maxi pulled up at sort of various places in France with us sat on the bonnet eating an ice cream and stuff. It's what, how memories are made, isn't it? Yeah. Those travel holidays. That's why I think it's so annoying with the whole you know, strictness about school holidays. I can see why they do it for, for many reasons. Because yeah. you want people to learn and everything. But when kids are really young, yeah. you know, it's so important to have that precious time with family. It, it, yeah, yeah, it is. And, and, you know, luckily school were okay about us pulling Molly out for the Brazil World Cup and the Canada World Cup the, the year after for the women. Had they not been able or not let her go, and she was young, young at the time, but had they said no, she wouldn't have had those experiences, you know on the harbour in Vancouver. I mean, that, that's an awesome place to go. And actually that, that, that would be one of my travel highlights, even though I was working throughout it. Dan and the kids went, went whale watching, they went up in a helicopter, they did loads of really cool stuff. I was obviously witness to all that from afar, but Vancouver definitely one, you know, one of those places that's, that's amazing to go to. And how did you find Australia? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, uh, my brother was in Melbourne at first. I love um, Melbourne. Yeah, really and nice Melbourne's great, and we can all relate to Melbourne. And he lived right near the beach. And um, he then moved to Perth, and I'd had kind of mixed views on Perth, but actually, it pleasantly surprised me. I think when when we went, which was about three or four years ago now, the kind of coffee culture had sort of started to sort of open up there. Whereas I, I think it was quite traditional, and we'd been told it was very boring. There wasn't much to do, but actually, there was some great stuff to do. And we always do a wine tour, so in Melbourne we went to the Yarra Valley I went there um, as well it was incredible yeah and, and just just being able to fit six wineries into an afternoon is brilliant isn't it we we went ballooning in the Yarra Valley and then there was a wine tasting afterwards but the night before I found out I was pregnant <gasps> the night before a wine tasting oh my that's gosh. so Absolutely bad gutted. timing yeah. Absolutely I think gutted. I had a little sip of champagne <laughs> like yeah and exactly and when we went to Perth we did we did a wine tour too is it Yallon Drop Yallon I, I cannot remember but it was the scenery around Perth is stunning and you know generally if you leave any of those big cities and in fact to go out of Perth to go anywhere you need to fly it's sort of one of those you know places which (laughs) a lot like a lot of Australian cities it's in the middle of nowhere but if you do travel by car out of Perth anything sort of between two and two and four hours there the scenery is just stunning I I always remember we we ended up at this place and there that there were it, it was the kind of coast was there and there was a big cliff drop and we walked over the cliff and along some sand and then just came across this lovely place for breakfast just really happened upon it and it's it's those experiences that I love the kind of you know random wine tasting here or the random place you stop for breakfast or the wonderful person you bump into in a Parisian bar and you know and you chat all night Paris is a really special place for me I absolutely love it there and I actually have a a Paris list because I'm quite often asked by people for recommendations for Paris or if people are going I'll often say do you want some places to go to and this was given to me by my friend Isabel who lived in Paris for a period of time as have a couple of my friends done now actually and I just it's one of those places that I feel feel a real affinity to you you feel comfortable and you feel like you could go a million times and it would still be interesting and the fact you can walk across Paris is great and I never get bored and you know I have my little hit list you can go for a hot chocolate in Angelique which is a, a famous old hot chocolate and coffee house oh there's just there's just tons of places you can buy path chocolate at this particular shop that I mean Paris is what else is on your list I'm interested in your list because I've been hundreds of times as well um have you got you got the list excellent yeah (laughs) is it in that book 
No. No, it isn't actually. I've got I've got a book full of random notes for you, which I can't even begin to understand. But I have it on my notes in my phone because I've emailed it. And I've got one of these for New York. Dan and I went to New York last year, which was great. But actually, I prefer Paris. It's difficult to compare to the two. I love yeah. both. But New York Paris was a really big adventure, special. but it was really cold. And actually, I really didn't like the New York people. I just found them really rude. And I think, I, I don't know whether it's having a particularly sensitive day, but we were riding on bikes. In fact, one really good thing we did in New York was we went on the city bikes and and cycled through Central Park, which was great. But the American New Yorkers were really rude. They just get to the point straight away. I just couldn't handle it, honestly. I'm I'm so British. Um, We like to say many pleases and thank yous, don't we, the Brits? Yeah, exactly. So do they do in plenty of other parts of America? They sort of overdo that as well, don't they? But New York has this uh, has this particular way. Yeah. Angelina is the place to go to for hot chocolate on the Rue de Rivoli. Where else do we always go to? There's a place in the Marais called Le Loire dans la Terrière, and it's run by a couple of gay guys, and it's the best lunch spot ever. It's really lovely. Um, Marais, anyway. Yeah, yeah. We always we tend to stay in the Marais or in the Latin Quarter if we can. There's a chocolatier called uh, Michel Chaudon, which is on the Rue de la Université, and he does the, these chocolates called parve, which look like paving stones. And they, they only, they expire within two weeks of buying them. So you, you, so you have to, to eat, eat them, them like quick. there and then. <laughs> but they are, they are absolutely brilliant. Oh my God, I so want some um, French chocolate right now. And actually with kids, we always go to Cité de Sciences, which is a little bit out of Paris. So it's in the kind of northeast of Paris, I think. And there are some great, there's some great stuff to do there for kids. We, we, we often take our kids when we go to I've Paris. Never been, I've never taken the kids to Paris and I'd love to. So when, yeah. I, when I go, I will yeah. get your list. And a boat trip. You have to do a boat trip. The boat trip, the Baton Mouche, is it? The Baton Mouche? The Baton Mouche, yeah. They're amazing. It just, to, it just gives you like a whole other, a bit like when you're in Amsterdam as well, to do a boat trip. It just gives you a whole other view of the city. Yeah. And you yeah. sit there and relax as the city goes by. And then afterwards, it's nice to sort of go, oh, you know, you can go back to that place if you yeah. saw something that you absolutely love. And there's some amazing bistros. I think one of my favourite things about Paris is when you rock up to a restaurant and they've literally got starter main dessert. That's yeah. it. Well, as a vegetarian, well, which I am as, as a well. vegetarian, yeah. well, actually I, I I'm a pescatarian, have... so not a real Well, vegetarian. I am too, actually. Yeah. Uh, I just have to smile very sweetly and ask them what, what they can do. And yeah. I've never had a bad meal like that. There's a place called Le Pipo, um, which I think is in the Latin Quarter, and Le Papay Paris too, which is, which is around the corner. And they are both exceptional for that um, and just you know happening upon random jazz bars and going to the museums I, I sort of tend to avoid when when we went there last we I actually for the kind of first time ever did um, an open bus tour with the kids and that was great and actually I came away thinking my god the Eiffel Tower is huge which is such a stupid thing to say <laughs> it's pretty um, tall, yeah. but it, we, we sort of passed the Eiffel Tower so many times on this bus tour it just felt like it got bigger and bigger so we, we did a couple of really touristy things when we were there last time but do you know mostly I just like wandering, wandering and eating and drinking. Yeah, and that's the beauty about Paris is that it's a great walking city. Yeah. And there's a metro as well if you want to get yeah, around quicker, sure. but you can walk everywhere, which is lovely. What else am I missing? Uh, do you want to look at your list? Let me consult my yeah. list. <laughs> I think another travel highlight for me is Thailand. We went, we went to Koh Samui for my friend's wedding and she got married on a beach at sunset. And I know that that sort of can be quite quite kind of a classic thing to do, but it was just... For it was a good reason. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was really special. And we mixed our hotels up a bit. So we arrived, we actually did a stopover in Singapore, which was great, you know, a nice um, eye opener. Um, and actually was really surprised by how parts of Singapore are quite sort of European in style. They're, they're a little sort of 
pockets of it. Which yeah, were, I mean, it was, uh, you know, very colonial. Colonial area. city. When you think of like yeah. raffles and everything Yeah, like I that. suppose so, yeah. We landed on Koh Samui. This is pre-kids, actually. It's pr- probably why it's a standout memory because you've not been b- dragged through anywhere. And we stayed at kind of a really small little resort, little sort of, um, it was a kind of watering hole type place. Anyway, we stayed there. And then we went to this more upmarket hotel for the wedding. We got upgraded for the hotel, which is always a bonus. And we'd been via a friend upgraded for our flights. Now, we've never done this before. In fact, I used to have an upgrade trip, which I shall explain. Mm. We, we at that time happened to know someone who was working for the airline we were traveling with. And he upgraded us to business class. And it was just one of those experiences where we just had a great time. And it was just from start to finish, it was amazing because everything about it was smooth and lovely. And we were, of course, pampered in business class and it felt like a real treat. And I have on on a couple of trips tried the upgrade thing before. And actually, if it doesn't work, you often get given a bottle of champagne or some sort of treat. What is this upgrade thing? What you do. So often people try and get an upgrade when they check in, right, which is which is about idea because everyone asks um, and it never really happens there so you can try there but if you're turned down I think my top tip is you know don't worry about saving face there's a new set of people at the gate (laughs) ask again so when you get to the gate you ask again and Dan and I have this thing where we're not married okay but we at the gate or if that doesn't work on the plane Dan will pull aside a female steward or I will pull aside actually often a female steward too and say it's our honeymoon. I really want to surprise my partner with something special. Is there any chance that you have a spare seat or we could have an upgrade? And you try this at the departure gate, you know, sort of hush hush. And, and, and if you make it sound like it's this big secret, then the air stewardess or steward gets invested in this whole surprise. And so it sort of becomes a bit of a mission for them to make it special for you. I love it. Even though it's a complete lie and it, and it is cheeky. And I haven't done it. I, actually, I haven't done it at all with kids, of course not. And the, the, the sort of least I've ever walked away with is a bottle of champagne. We've been upgraded to kind of economy plus before when there were no seats left in business. A couple of times we've been upgraded to business too. And if you make a bit of a story and you get them to invest in it, they absolutely go for it. There's no skin off their nose. It's not costing no, them anything. No, and it's not. And they it, get the chance to it make, make someone feel special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> yeah, a, it has uh, to be a, um, a long haul job, really. Yeah. So what else have I missed before I ask you my last question? Let me consult my little notes um on on one of our many trips um dan and i went to kenya and that was a real eye-opener we stayed in a place called melindi which in itself is really interesting because i think it was occupied by italians during one of the wars so therefore when you go there pasta is a common course when you eat uh, a meal and that really surprised me and again little kind of you know pockets of colonial things going on there and we thought it'd be great fun to get a boat and try some diving well well, kind of a snorkeling really not not deep sea diving and we took this glass bottom boat out and the guy turfed us out and you know we had our little snorkels and stuff and we were kind of pootering around and it and and it was all nice and 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 everything else and we got out and I think I I went to go and get changed out out of my cosy and Dan stood next to this sort of hut by the beach and proceeded to look at probably about 20 pictures of people or just sharks and was like what's all this about and he saw our tour guide afterwards and he said um what's this and he said well you know these are um these are you know sharks that have been spotted here in the last five years and Dan was like you've just made us go diving and he said yeah it is a really popular time for sharks these days so Dan was like oh my god 
we were we were diving in sh- basically shark infested waters um, I think Dan said so when was the last one you saw and he said well actually you know it's a really popular time of year for sharks but um, the last sighting was only a mile up the coast so you're absolutely fine here we were yeah, like because sharks don't travel a sharks mile don't do, they? Swim, no. do they no <laughs> and so we were after that both thinking oh my good god after yeah after nearly encountering a shark and, and, and I think it's just as Brits sharks are like the most scary thing ever but to them it was just like yeah you might see a shark try and step out of the way when you go to certain countries they seem to have maybe less fear or not such a sense of you might die doing this you know yeah. you seem to like take more risks in yeah, some I countries know. it seems very scary it. to us doesn't it but yeah no apparently it was absolutely fine that we were swimming possibly with sharks <laughs> well I'm going to ask you my last question now and it's about music because I always think that music goes hand in hand with travel and mm. this is like often elicits some unexpected and interesting responses from my guests but if you had to choose one song that reminds you of a memorable or interesting or wonderful time of travel, mm. what would that song be? Oh, goodness. I'm, I'm the worst person to ask about songs because I have a rubbishy memory. So there's an artist called Jack Johnson who we started listening to kind of right when he was breaking through. And there's a song called Better Together. And when we went to Thailand about that time, that song was really big for us. And it kind of became our soundtrack to the trip and it's just a lovely I couldn't think of anything better to kind of you know whether you're you know ambling along in Koh Samui whether you're going on a boat trip or whatever you're doing sitting in a jacuzzi on your balcony or something it's a really uplifting real kind of holiday tune Um, and that song for me Jack Johnson Better Together just sums up that whole lovely time that's lovely thank you and that is really a lovely happy sunny song to Mm. be listening to wherever you are yeah thank you so much for coming thank you for having me Thank you so much, Kate. We wish you continued success with your work and travels and podcasts and everything. Thank you so much for listening too. If you have time and are on iTunes, do pop over and write a review. See you next time on the Big Travel Podcast.